Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights. I'm inviting you to have your Bible ready. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This year, in sermons once or twice a month, I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians. We are not perfect predictors about events that we put on the calendar, but Lord willing, when we arrive in December we will have completed this series preaching through 1 Corinthians. When you read 1 Corinthians and you listen to these sermons, it may occur to you, as it has to me, that in some very major ways, the Corinthian culture finds a parallel in our time. There was an excessive awareness of and celebration of the human intellect. The ability of men to learn from other men and become followers of men instead of the Lord. That was at the root of their trouble in the church at Corinth. There was substantial diversity in religious belief and practice in Corinth. Paganism, other false religions had free course in Corinth. And it was a sex-saturated society. Something Paul confronted already back in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. Now in chapter 7, I cannot speak to each verse in chapter 7 or read the entire chapter in this sermon. My intention is to provide an overview of the chapter and there will be needed lessons for us, I think that will be clear, who live in a society now, sadly, in many ways similar to Corinthian culture. I need to say something before we begin about 1 Corinthians 7. Listen carefully, please. Paul, in this chapter, does not cover every possible situation or question about marriage and male-female relationships. It is a mistake to take what Paul says here and try to force that into just any situation that you may be familiar with or may be grappling with. This teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 is limited to Paul's response to questions submitted to him by the Corinthian church. Listen, please, verses 1 through 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband ought to give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, 
that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. And I shall add now that last phrase in verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now just that much, what is clear? What is the main idea from these opening verses, given everything we know already about the Corinthian church and their difficulties? What helps us in chapter 7 is to recall what we studied back in chapter 5 and 6, that sexual immorality was widespread in the Corinthian community. So given what we've already learned about that problem in Corinth and in the church back in chapter 5 and 6, what does this sound like to you when I read just the opening verses in chapter 7? It sounds like that living in this culture of moral chaos and unrestrained appetite, questions came up about the relation of males and females. Should I marry or stay single? If my husband is not a Christian, should I just walk out? And what if he walks out? There was confusion, and there can be no doubt the culture of permissiveness and promiscuity in Corinth contributed to this confusion and their distress. In fact, down in verse 26, Paul refers to their situation by using the phrase, the present distress. So here is a question. Given that culture, did questions come up in the minds of the Corinthian people about marriage. We don't have to guess. Look at verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. The Corinthians wrote to Paul with their questions. Now here's what we have to be careful about. We don't have their questions. We have Paul's answers. That's a limitation we need to recognize as we navigate in through the chapter. From the chapter, I want to bring to our attention these specific instructions begging you, please, to read the chapter on your own. As you reflect on what I'm going to present, and you can go back on the website, listen to this again, read the chapter on your own. We cannot apply this chapter to everything that we may think about or everything we may know about or just anything. We must carefully keep our thoughts limited to the specific matters addressed by the apostle and do our best to summarize from it specific lessons we can take to heart today. Number one. Whatever their questions were, the first part of Paul's answer is, it is all right to stay single or get married so long as you remain faithful to the Lord and so long as you are alert to the temptations of Satan. 
I think that's clear. Whatever may be unclear in 1 Corinthians 7, in view of the fact that we don't have their questions, this is clear. It is all right to stay single or get married so long as you remain faithful to the Lord and you are alert to the temptations of Satan to prompt your self-control to be lost. In these opening verses, as understood by the rest of the chapter, Paul tells them it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Given everything else Paul says and everything else the Bible says, I believe we are to understand this to mean you can remain celibate or single. As temptation pressures you, it is acceptable to enter into a marriage, but in either case, single or married, here's what your focus has to be on. Remaining faithful to the Lord, no matter how confusing and mixed up and chaotic the culture is around you. In every way, in every relationship, every choice and decision, you must be faithful to the Lord. Faithful in your life to the Lord and respect and compliant with everything the Lord has said about marriage. In verses 8 and 9, it is good to remain single as Paul was, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Of course, there are other reasons to marry. But keep in mind, Paul is responding to their questions. In their present distress, with all the impurity around them in the Corinthian culture, I believe one main idea from the chapter is, it's all right to stay single or get married as long as you remain faithful to the Lord. And that that is primary in the text is expressed also over in verse 19 and 35. In verse 19, what's important? Keeping the commandments of God. In verse 35, what's important? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul did not recommend that in their present distress, living in a community of moral chaos, that they ignore or suspend God's law of marriage. Paul is not giving that idea any endorsement to do what is convenient in their situation. <clears throat> Paul is not announcing or affirming situational ethics where one decides things are so bad, so complicated, so difficult, and the culture around me is so permissive that in this case, I'm going to give myself permission to violate God's law of marriage. Paul doesn't ever do that. The tone of the entire seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians is, remain faithful to the Lord. You live in a difficult community concerning male-female relationships, but whatever you do, remain faithful to the Lord. Number two. It is important to understand Paul is very strongly against the impulsive act of just walking out of a lawful marriage. 
due to the present distress or any other reason that would be selfish, impulsive, or in conflict with the Lord's will in any way. Listen to some of this at verse 10. The wife should not separate from her husband. Verse 11, the husband should not divorce his wife. See, Paul doesn't adapt, ignore, or give new meaning, or put another spin on what Jesus said about the permanence of marriage in Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. There we learn very clearly that which God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, to which the Lord gave only the one exception of sexual immorality. That's what the Lord said in Matthew 5.32 and 19.9. Paul had no authority to come along in 1 Corinthians 7 and change any of that or justify anyone suspending that because of their culture. Everything you read in Matthew still holds true, is not changed by anything in 1 Corinthians 7. Now... In our society, it is widespread, popular, even celebrated. If your marriage is hard, just quit. That's the thinking. If marriage is hard, just quit. I tell you, it was hard for marriages and families to survive in the Corinthian culture. Paul is answering their questions in such a way as to affirm not cancel God's law of marriage. He doesn't encourage or recommend just walking out of a lawful marriage just because the culture makes it hard. If the exception Jesus gave is not present, if you are either confused or tempted by the culture or society, the present distress, just walking out of a lawful marriage that is safe and that is lawful, is not a good option. Don't just drop everything and say, well, in the society things are bad, and in the marriage it's kind of hard. I'm just going to walk out. Paul says don't do that. If an unbelieving partner walks away, you're not obligated to chase them. Paul gives no permission to remarry in such cases. But he says in verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. As I've indicated, this doesn't change or modify what Jesus said back in Matthew. Apostles had no such authority. Paul is answering specific questions submitted to him from the church at Corinth. There were cases where unbelieving partners just left. Paul is saying, you don't have to follow them. God has called you to peace. And to that, it can be added, there is not in 1 Corinthians 7 some big, loophole, flexible permission to remarry, which would be in conflict with what Jesus said In Matthew, it's not in 1 Corinthians 7, this loophole that people want to impose on it. 
In fact, remarriage is mentioned only twice in the chapter. Once, it is forbidden, and in the other case, it is permitted in the case of death. In verses 10 and 11, where Paul says, don't walk out. He forbids remarriage on that walkout basis. Obviously, where there is not the cause that Jesus gave. Now listen to verses 10 and 11. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. The only other mention of remarriage in this chapter is in the case of death, the surviving partner is free to remarry. Verse 39, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So I say again, Paul is not adapting, changing, ignoring what Jesus said in Matthew. He is answering their questions about the distressing and degenerating conditions of the culture they lived in. The culture provided no excuse. They must remain faithful to the Lord. Their circumstances in Corinth caused them to bring up questions. Paul gave answers not intending to address uh, address every possible situation, but to respond to their questions. And the essence of it is, whatever you do, be faithful to the Lord. Well, as I said in the beginning, time has not permitted me to give a verse-by-verse -verse treatment of the text here. I hope you will read the chapter and consider the points I've made in the context of the chapter. Now, I need to say this again. This is not a general treatise or article on the subject of marriage as a whole. You cannot find an answer to every single situation in 1 Corinthians 7 because Paul doesn't ever say that he's dealing with every situation. He's responding to their questions and he's urging them not to be hasty or reckless in their present distress. And if there is one primary takeaway for us, no matter how tempting how distressing and permissive and promiscuous the culture around us becomes, we must remain faithful to the Lord. We cannot be led into arguments of permission in matters where God has bound His law. His law that we accepted when we were baptized. His law of marriage that Christians embrace even before they marry and when they marry. And let me take you to one more statement within the chapter in verse 35. You'll not be confused about this statement, this phrase. If there are things in the chapter you don't fully understand, but hope that you will as you continue to read and study, fine, it will not intrude upon the simplicity of this. 
I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You understand that? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35. Isn't that what all of us want? Not just in regard to male-female relations and marriage and what's happening in the society, but in every respect, isn't it what we want? Undivided devotion to the Lord. Isn't that why we are here? Isn't that why we have our Bibles and read them and study them? We want to have in our hearts and lives undivided devotion to the Lord. I will repeat, don't let anyone tell you that everything about marriage and every situation can be answered and found in this chapter. Paul is not writing a general discourse. The first verse is the key. He's answering specific questions they had submitted. We have his answers. We do not have their questions. On the subject of marriage, read Matthew 5.32 and 19.9, where Jesus affirms clearly what God intended from the beginning. The Corinthian culture, generally speaking, just didn't care about God's law concerning male and female relationships. Paul is saying to the members of the church, you have to care about that. No matter how bad it is out there, you have to care about it. The main thing we take from the chapter is, no matter what happens around me, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. The world doesn't care, but I do, and you do. We're going to be devoted to the Lord because when we were baptized into Christ, that is exactly the commitment we made, devotion to the Lord. If it's time for you to begin that devotion, will you come as we stand together to sing?